welcome to Happy Times and Places, in which I, Toby Haydock, ask a friend of mine to watch a Doctor Who story and choose their favourite things about it. I then have to watch along with a positive outlook and see if I can guess what their favourite things are. The guest is not always somebody related to somebody in the story, but this time it is. Hello, uh, my name is Martin Jameson, and uh, Toby has very kindly asked me to... Uh, select my favourite or an episode or a series of Doctor Who that, that is of particular interest to me um, to watch and talk about. And uh, in case, um, well, in the very strong likelihood that you haven't got a clue who I am, uh, I was born Martin Jacobs. And my father was Anthony Jacobs, who was an actor who some of you will know, played Doc Holliday in the four-part Doctor Who series with William Hartnell called Gunfighters. And you may also have by now realised that my brother is Matthew Jacobs, who has recently made a rather wonderful documentary called Doctor Who Am I? about his experience writing the TV movie that featured uh, Paul McGann. Don't ask me to say what number Doctor he was, because I don't know which is why I have to confess to you at this stage that I am myself not particularly a massive fan of Doctor Who. But don't switch off because hopefully I, I will have some interesting things to say. So I did watch Doctor Who as a child and uh, I, I was a 60s kid. I was born in 1960, so I grew up with it. And um, my doctor... Everyone has their doctor, I'm told. My doctor was Patrick Troughton, and then later John Pertwee. Uh, I loved Patrick Troughton, and he played the recorder or something, and, and he was he was rather strange, and, and I seem to remember finding him a little bit scary, which I liked, and I liked finding William Hartnell a little bit scary too. And as the various doctors got less and less scary, so I think I became less and less interested, so you know, um, analyse that, I think, as the, ex uh, as the expression goes. Um, but I remember watching uh, Doctor Who as, as a child and being genuinely terrified by it. I was the classic kid who hid behind the sofa. And I remember uh, one time I was watching the Cybermen. Uh, I couldn't tell you which episodes they were, but I was watching the Cybermen and we had this terrible old black and white television. All our televisions were awful. You could barely see on any of them because we didn't have any money. And we always had terrible kit. Anyway, I was hiding behind the, the sofa and um, our television started to smoke. It was on fire uh, in the middle of an episode of, with the Cybermen in. And I, well, I think, I, I think effectively I pissed my pants. Whether I did actually piss my pants, I don't know. But I, the, the memory of the... the utter terror and fear of watching Doctor Who and the smoke coming out of the back of the television has never really left me. So um, I'm picking Gunfighters obviously because my dad was in it. Now I don't really remember watching it at the time, I have to be honest. In fact um, the first time I remember watching it was in the 1990s and I have not watched it since then. And uh, around about 1997, I got 
I think, my first live-action television writing gig, and I was writing Children's Ward for Granada, uh, the old company Granada and back in the day. And I went into the writers' room. We didn't call them writers' rooms in those days. It was just rooms with writers in them. They were just, yeah, just a room. Writers' room is a modern affectation. And anyway, I bumped into a young writer, and I was young too, uh, by the name of Paul Cornell, who, of course, later went on to, to write some books for himself. And uh, Paul's absolutely lovely, and I'd never met him before, and we started talking, and within about uh, 30 seconds, probably, he worked out who I was, even though I'd changed my name. It's Martin Jameson, but I was born Martin Jacobs, but he knew I'd changed my name. He knew exactly who I was. Uh, This is when I first discovered the phenomenon of the Whovian, or the person who's terrifically enthusiastic about, about Doctor Who, because he knew a lot about me. In fact, I should go on to say that when I first met Toby, um, which was uh, at a, where he was warming up for a recording of University Challenge, um, he, he knew more about me uh, than I knew about me. Uh, someone introduced us and he, he started telling me things about me that, that, that I didn't even know. So that's, that's how these things roll. Anyway, Paul, uh, he said, oh my God, yes, you're, you're Martin Jameson, you're, your father's Anthony Jacobs, your brother's Matthew Jacobs, blah, 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 blah. And he said, gunfighters, oh, I love gunfighters. Some people don't really like gunfighters, but I, I absolutely love it. I said, well, I haven't really seen it. So the next day, well, our second day in the writer's room, or the room with writers, he arrived with um, what I can only guess was a sort of pirated VHS of gunfighters. And he just gave it to me and he said, well, you have to have it. How can, how can you be Martin Jacobs and not have a copy of your father's episodes? And so that's how I first saw it. And I have to confess, I have not watched it since. So this is what I'm going to do now. And I'm then, apparently what I'm going to do is talk about it. So here we go. I'm just turning it on now and I'm going to play it. And, oh, here we go. This is terribly, terribly exciting. Haha, well, what a lovely introduction from Martin Jameson there, who, as he mentioned, I first met when he was in the audience of University Challenge, but I'd heard talk of him before. It's funny how all roads lead to Doctor Who. And... I remember talking to Darren Thomas, who's a friend of mine, who I first met because he came to see Moth Saint, my Doctor Who scarf, I think. Anyway, I've seen Darren a few times, and he mentioned, because Darren had worked on Holby City, was working on Holby City at the time, he said, oh, there's a scriptwriter who works for us uh, called Martin Jameson, who is the son of Anthony Jacobs. You know, not that son, the other son. Not the TV movie son, but there's another son. And I just... I mean, without even thinking about it, that obviously went into my mental storehouse. And then I was warming up University Challenge, which I did for many years. Um, they don't have a warm-up man anymore. I was the, uh, the I think, the second and last, because uh, an old fellow had done it for years and years and years. And then I, I took over and did it until the, the, the money ran out. Uh, first they came for the audience's orange juice. Then they came for the set designer being present on recording days and then they came for me um 
<laughs> but uh, ni- a nice thing to do, although I was fairly surplus to requirements. I'm sure you've seen the show. The audience aren't exactly in a frenzy. I was just there to distract them. Uh, but I think it was seen as somewhat coarse if I did too much. So uh, I-, I was deliberately quite low key. Um, I, more TV warm-up is not really my style. Anyway, I, I would chat to the audience, um, and it was a it was a lovely job and a lovely environment. And I and for some reason I can't remember, but it just does, doesn't it? Doctor Who cropped up, and this young woman in the audience said, "Oh, his dad was in Doctor Who," and I ca- I can't remember how it happened, but uh, uh, I said, "I think you know something like you in the business or something like that." But it it, it came up that he was a writer, and I went. Oh God! Or a writer for Holby City, even. And I went, "Oh yes, you're Martin Jameson. Your dad's Anthony Jacobs." And he went, ah, "Did you know that?" I was just like, "It's in there." Yeah, yeah. Because it certainly, however the conversation arose, it, I was I was able to show off. Uh, and that's of course a great icebreaker, and it's lovely when somebody knows who you are, um, even if it's via the fact that your dad was Stock Holiday in Doctor Who. Um, but what he doesn't say in the story is that the person that introduced us. Was I think must have been one of his students or uh, or whatever or somebody he was teaching or mentoring because it was um, young Dolly Rose Campbell who is now a big star of Coronation Street and brilliant she is too so and I of course now see and know her because because she's a colleague of uh, of of my partner Shez um, so it's all a funny small world that all melds together so there's a weird synthesis there of Holby City slash Doctor Who which led to me Doctor Who slash Coronation Street which led to Dolly Rose who's Coronation Street slash sitting next to Martin from Holby City so this curious thing so there's just an illustration of uh, the strange set of circumstances that led to this edition of Happy Times and Places featuring the son of the star, one of the guest stars of the story in question. Um, you know what? They may have had primitive uh, technology when this was aired back in the day, but it's now some god-awful hour. I'm so behind with my podcasting. I'm determined to get an episode done tonight. And I was going to fire up the Brit box. But, you know, in the old days, if you wanted to turn on the telly, you'd turn on the telly. If you want a channel, you'd press the button. Hey, presto. It may not have been a gorgeous picture. Do you know what I mean? You may have had to fiddle with the aerial a little bit. But you pressed a button and you got what you wanted, essentially. I've I've switched on my thing to just fire up Brit box. It's going, no, it's not there now. Want to sign up for a seven-day trial? And I'm like, no, I I pay for it. Uh, and I've, I've searched on the internet, and I, and and, it's, and that's actually ended up taking me longer than it would have taken me to get up, get the DVD out, and put it in the Blu-ray player, which I've now done. Um, but after trying to sort out the Britbox problem, because that's going to niggle me, I will dream about solving the Britbox problem, and will wake up in the morning, uh, and it will be unsolved. But I won't remember. I'll only remember when I come to do this again tomorrow night, and I've settled into my chair, and then I realise I have to get up and mess around again. But that's that's first world problems but they're still really bloody annoying um so here technology people just have the that you can press buttons and things work and things don't disappear i'm not wild about all this how we're so reliant on the internet i think it breaks deliberately to irritate us um and to distract us from the fact that it's slowly closing in and will destroy us all but that's just my theory so i'm going back to a time when doctor who didn't necessarily have to do science fiction because science fiction has things like um wirelessly connected evil entertainment repositories of doom 
uh, and would do historical stories. But uh, the seriousness of a lot of the historical stories occasionally uh, gave way to those of a more humorous bent. And I've recently done the Romans. I've rushed this forward in uh, proceedings just because... Well, because I was talking to Martin and because I liked his introduction and because that's what I'm in the mood to do tonight. I'd got another story scheduled for tonight and I didn't fancy doing it. And these things depend on me being able to produce words. So I fancied doing the gunfighters. Uh, A much maligned story. I mean, that's the introduction for me that I, I grew up knowing this as the bad Doctor Who story. There weren't many. Uh, in Doctor Who A Celebration and the Radio Times Doctor Who 20th Anniversary Special. Poorly drawn versions of, what was it, Doc Holliday, Bert Masterson and Wyatt Earp said the 20th Anniversary Special, which was only, I think, otherwise uh, rude about the underwater menace when it said the fish people weren't perhaps the greatest um, monsters. Um, And then um, Doctor Who A Celebration, which described this as not good, it is not good, it is bad and it is ugly and uh, could be described as the weakest Doctor, worst Doctor story of all time. Weakest, uh, the, the acting is not so much West Coast as West Ham, which was a joke I didn't get for many years. I just thought it was saying West Ham to be... You know, I, didn't, I didn't get the ham element of, of that put down. Um, and I think the scumfight... I mean, the, Willy, Willy, the Doctor Who magazine has just done its survey where it's releasing the results in, in Doctor Order and the gunfighters is pretty close to the bottom. I mean, it's not bottom. It's not worst Doctor Who story of all time. But I don't think its reputation has ever quite recovered from the received wisdom that it's awful. And I know a lot of people who genuinely do think this is um, bad. But I think that's... I, I, I think I think it's misunderstood. I, I mean, you can't legislate for people's taste. But I, I do think that uh, this story has uh, you, you know, was always on the back foot, really. Um, and uh, But that said, that means that I might be prepared to give it more of a chance than I might otherwise, because I quite like the idea of championing the underdog. So I can never come to it purely either. Um, I come to it with the received wisdom that it's the worst Doctor Who story of all time. So, of course, I want to go, oh, actually, but it has virtues all of its own that the hoi polloi cannot understand. So, therefore, I might not... I, I don't like the fact that I might, but I've got to... I have to gr- grudgingly suggest that my subconscious might have a bit of that going on with it because my subconscious is a terrible snob. <laughs> um, so, I, I'm... I, it's, it's, it's one that's odd for me to have an honest appraisal of because it comes with so much baggage that I'm sort of fight fighting against but i i i tend to enjoy the gunfighters i think it's uh unfairly maligned and i think it's got a lot to recommend it and uh so with that in mind uh this may may, may seem odd to sort of people of generations below me going what, what you know why this why this big intro because this the, i mean this was the, you know the, the 20th anniversary of Doctor Who, there was the, the, the idea that there might be a, a classic, you know, an old Doctor Who story that wasn't good. This was revolutionary stuff. We tended to look back with great joy and appreciation and awe, uh, which I, I know seems odd these days when all everybody tends to look back at history and uh, either 
scold the people that existed there or patronise them. Um, yeah, we were. Uh, yeah, I'm, um, we were quite in awe of the people that uh, that, that came before us uh, and the programmes that were made. Um, <laughs> so I and I, you know, I quite enjoyed that myself. Anyway, let us watch the worst Doctor Who story of all time. It's not uh, in the company of the sun of one of its main players. I'm thrilled that Martin is... Martin, by the way, is an extremely good and prolific writer. Um, He's written loads for radio. He's written many episodes of Holby City and much else besides. So, um, uh, and and I know Matthew a little bit as well. Um, And I've interviewed Matthew for my Who's Round podcast. So it's nice to get the other brother to give his perspective. I think that's fun. Um, So... Let us and and Martin has been doing some very good reviews as well uh, on online. Um, so uh, he's he's always I mean yeah he's always worth he's a great Martin's an excellent sometimes very caustic uh, reviewer of current television uh, not just for you know online uh, websites but but also for um, on his own uh, Facebook page where I'm. Always eager to see what he's made of the latest television programme. It's a bit of a guilty pleasure reading Martin uh, without much sort of filter, just, you know, le- saying what he thinks. <laughs> uh, but always very entertainingly so. So I think we're in for a, a ride. I'm really pleased that Martin has taken part. Even though it's ridiculous at o'clock in the morning, I am going to very much enjoy watching this first episode of The Gunfighters and I'm going to press play on my DVD which is why you can hear the menu going on in the background uh, in three, two, one. Uh, so, oh, isn't it gorgeous seeing those beautiful opening titles uh, the beginning of which was uh, lifted from a production of Tobias and the Angel, which was directed by Rudolf Cartier in 1960. I'm reminded of that because I've just been editing my chapter on Rudolf Cartier for my Quatermass book, and I managed to get it down from 22,000 words to 20,000 words, which, seeing as it's got to be 15,000 words, is probably not what I'd consider a good day's work. Anyway, what a great opening shot! Uh, of uh, Through the Wagon. I mean, one of the suggestions in Doctor Who's Celebration was that the direction of this story was uh, was not very good. The script is pure Talbot Rothwell, it said. What does it say about the direction? Uh, I, can't, I can't remember. The acting is more West Ham than West Coast. can't remember what it says about the direction, but look, that's a great shot through a, through a wagon. We've got some lovely film. Barry Newbury's sets are actually astonishing. Uh... And you've got horses in the studio. This is all good stuff. Um, and here we have the Clanton brothers who... It's... I mean, for years and years, uh, British actors, for some reason, couldn't do American. I don't know why. Uh, and the idea of a, of a British actor doing American... There were very few. There were few who specialised. People like uh, Michael Balfour, for example. But, but largely... If they wanted Americans, they 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 tried to get Americans or at least Canadians, because it it, it was an accent that was seemed to seemed to be at odds with sort of largely classically trained. Let's be honest, British actors, and maybe that's why that uh, it's you know American uh, uh, intonation and phraseology and and, and drawl is is counterintuitive if you're 
somebody that's been working very hard because even regionally accented actors had to, you know, um, uh, RP up. So maybe that was why. But I remember Gary Oldman was one of the sort of first who went, you know, who latterly of the more modern actors, you went, oh, he can really do American. Wow. But whereas now, you know, American TV is is full of British actors. Um, And often now as well, a lot of American productions have British uh, actors, you know, p- p- playing Americans. Because uh, if we're not, if you're, if you're not on a Screen Actors Guild contract, you are a lot cheaper, particularly in terms of residuals. But that's a story for another day. This is beautiful quality. It's lovely to see. I love Dodo's outfit. That's a really funky outfit. I love a cap. Look at that lovely uh, aerial shot. Um, but yes, the American accents, I think, are, are uh, do hamper this production slightly. But it, but, but, but it is a time when, and they did try and get. A lot of American actors uh, or Canadian actors, I know they looked at Cease Linder and Donald Sutherland to uh, to, to do this. And in, in fact, John Alderson, who plays Wyatt Earp, was, was flown over from Hollywood. He is British. Uh, he was British, um, uh, which which would have made things easier. But he was based in Hollywood and he, he, he worked in Hollywood. Um, uh, and you've got uh, Shane Rimmer there, who's... Uh, uh, Canadian and and you know his accent is clearly you know a, a, a genuine and authentic I know there's a slight difference between Canadian and American accents but he stands out here as as being the real deal I mean he knows where to he knows how to stand he he knows how to how to <laughs> he knows how to deliver he knows how to stand and deliver in a way that I have to say the Clanton brothers who are quite quite a bunch now he doesn't like being called snake eyes whereas in the book there's a whole thing about that where he's this sort of ugly reptilian kind of thing but that's there's that that, that there's not really much of that uh, uh uh in the screenplay um so it, we have the clanton brothers morris good who ended up being in canada uh is phineas clanton who's and he gives the character a stutter um uh, in order to give it a bit of characterization, I, I'm, I have a slight in real life. In real life, when I'm not not uh, performing, I I have something. I uh, see. I'm I'm doing it now. I have a bit of a stammer myself, um, but which curiously I tend to be able to overcome in performance more than in real life, except when I'm conscious of it, where I'm now battling against it. Um, I'm not offended by him giving the character a, a, a stammer. You, you do anything you can as an actor in those days to keep make your performance slightly memorable. Um, uh, and he's in the film of Quatermass in the Pit, and I kept meaning to write to him, and I did get his address in Canada. Uh, and then I, I discovered, uh, and then he, did, then he died. Um, uh, I don't know why the Doctor's got a collection of guns, but, th- th- I mean, you, you can be a, a person of non-violence and still appreciate the... The mechanics of a gun um peter i think you're smashing too peter purvis i love uh this might be jackie lane's best story as well i love stephen and dodo in this peter purvis is so versatile he, he he can he can adapt his performance style to whatever the story requires and he does so with great elan uh uh I, and I I love um, I love uh, the Bible bashing Wyatt Earp, uh, played by John Alderson, who is very much the genuine article. And he di- he died in a in a actor's retirement home in Chicago, but he's in Blazing Saddles for goodness sake. Uh, and he was a co- sort of cowboy type. I remember Richard Beale, who plays Bat Masterson, t- telling us that he'd uh, 
Alderson had stayed with him and burnt holes in his carpet. <laughs> um, but he but he crops up in British TV all the time. He comes back to the. I mean, he's one in one of the Biderbeck um, serials with with James Bolam and Barbara Flynn. Um, but he's great. It's a lovely set. This as well. Um, I I like Stephen and Dodo look great in their cowboy costumes. Um, nice that you can see the. Um, the wagon outside. Here's Sheena Marsh. Now she's somebody that we struggled to get uh, hold of. Um, she never replied. She's she's in the girl who was death, the prisoner episode, and she only died. She, Shane Rimmer and William Herndl, who plays Ike Clanton, all died in the same year. But Sheena Marsh, we'd never, nobody ever got a reply from her. Her real name was Shirley Knight. Shirley Knight. Um, I've got some footage of her doing something else. Her husband. Or, yeah, her husband was a was a keep fit judo guy whose name escapes me right now. But I I compiled a whole load of stuff about um, about Sheena Marsh, but uh, never we never got any never got anything out of her. And this is David Cole. Um, there's another David Cole who's acting who's an extra in some Davison stories who was who was then acting a bit in the UK in the eighties. By the but, but by this time this David Cole had gone to New Zealand. Um, and you do see him pop up. He was in a telefilm uh, that I saw. So he, he was sort of still about and yet not quite available to us. Um, and I think, bless him, he's terrible in this. Uh, he opened a donkey sanctuary, I think. Um, I, th I think Sheena Marsh is great fun. Um, I wish I knew more about her. I wish she... Because uh, for years there was a rumour that she was Rex Tucker's daughter, the director Rex Tucker's daughter, but she's not. Because I think Rex Tucker said in an interview, oh, yes, and my daughter was in it. And people put two and two together and made four things which were wrong. Because <laughs> um, his daughter is Jane Tucker of Rod, Jane and Freddie fame. And she is a, a non-speaking artiste in certainly the last episode. Uh, here is the man himself, uh, Anthony Jacobs, uh, who is wearing a wig there. If you if you see him in other stuff, he's a, he's a bald-headed man. An excellent voice man, a very famous radio actor by this point. His name was very well known. If you listen to the wireless in the 1960s, you would know Anthony Jacobs. Uh, he, he, at this point, he and John Alderson are the sort of main, main build guest stars. I think they get the billing in the Radio Times. Um, Lawrence Payne uh, then takes top guest billing when he, when he arrives. Um... But yeah, I like the way he does that, and he's he he he, he gives a he gives a uh, holiday a real sort of ratty delivery. I like it. Uh, he's he's really playing a character here. He's a proper character actor, Anthony Jacobs, uh, and I think he invests Doc Holiday with uh, 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 a, 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 a a sort of a spikiness um, that that actually also makes him very lovable. Um, and she's good fun. She's got a lot of energy, and I love all the costumes. If you know, I, you know, it's that it's that um, famous idea, isn't it? That uh, that's a lovely shot as well of of, of having the feet of of Bat Masterson and 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 you know full length of the studio, and then the cameras tracking across. And then you've got a high shot. That's these these camera positionings of Rex Tucker. I think are rather good. Now I love Richard Beale here, who's a sort of pugnacious. Uh, sort of bulldog of an actor. He's 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 just been uh, the refusion voice in the arc. He's the propaganda voice in the Macro Terror. 
he turns up as the Minister of Ecology in The Green Death because he was great friends with the director, Michael Bryant, because he's a great man of the sea. Now, Richard only died a couple of years ago uh, at the age of something like 94, 96, uh, and we're still going strong. He used to phone up any quest, any answers. Uh, uh, and uh, <laughs> I remember when we did the voice test, I, I was desperate for him to be on the commentary and I'm glad we got him on uh, because he's had such a long career. And I wrote to him to do a, a who's round and he said, oh, yes, you should interview me. I've been in lots of things, but I will have nothing to do. And I said, you know, we put it out free on the internet. He said, I will have nothing to do with the internet because of identity theft and all of that sort of thing. He obviously got it into his head. But he was rattled by the idea. Uh, of the of the internet which was a shame um and i didn't pursue it because he lived sort of in the middle of nowhere uh, and we did have him on the commentary for this at least i wish we'd done a making of for this one but um uh the way that uh the dvds were run in those days meant that uh corners were cut uh so, so yeah um unnecessarily uh which means that we had loads of people available who we could have got uh we could have got on camera and we didn't but um uh, uh, but but yeah, Beale was a was a was a fascinating guy. But he had quite a cussed sense of humour. I remember when we did the voice check for the um, for the for the commentary. You say, "What did you have for breakfast?" And he said, "I had a rancid sausage roll, which was awful at the train station." Uh, he had a, I, he was, I really liked him, uh, but but it, yeah, he he was he was somebody who would not let a terse comment by if if there was one to be made. Um, I like the rapport he has with um, Wyatt Earp. I think that, that these two are, uh, you know, have an established relationship, which is rather nice. And I, yes, I interrupted myself earlier by saying, you know, there's that thing of, you know, the UK can't do um, westerns. Uh, and, you know, it's not a genre that you would ever sort of seek f f f for... for to, to to be made over here because America, well, and then the spaghetti westerns, of course, um, it, you know they, they they've been done elsewhere and in exemplary fashion elsewhere by by the Americans and the Italians. Um, it's not necessarily our metier in the same way that I particularly want to watch uh, something set in a nineteen twenties British drawing room, um, you know, made by made made in the states. That's uh, you know. Uh, that the hurdles overcome at both ends seem unnecessary to even try when they can be done better elsewhere. But Doctor Who, of course, has to try everything, and I I don't see a, a it, it doing a western as a, a, any worse than uh, than it trying anything else, from you know space opera to action adventure uh, or whatever. Uh, I think these two have a have a great rapport, and I think Jackie Lane, who who is not the world's greatest actress uh, is good fun in this the, the way that Donald Cotton writes Dodo as somebody sort of plucky and amused by it all is uh, she, she, yeah she rises to the occasion and their roles were slightly swapped over weren't they because she was supposed to be singing and Stephen playing the piano <laughs> Jackie just went I'm not singing um, and Jackie like Martin Jameson I, I met Jackie Lane under very strange circumstances I saw her on a train uh, I'm sure I've told this story before, so let's just leave it at that. But I, Jack, you know, the one companion I was never going to meet uh, when we were doing the DVDs or at any Doctor Who event, 
uh, fate brought me together with on a train on the way to Manchester and we had a bit of a chat and uh, exchanged emails thereafter and I was so sorry when she died because uh, uh, she was something of an enigma um, I love the uh, I love the tooth outside <laughs> Doc Holliday's uh, surgery that is a that is a lovely lovely joke um, uh, uh, and and their treatment of Hartnell Hartnell's brilliant here look he he's He's enduring all of this rather brilliantly without pulling focus. He's he's a good he's a very good comedy performer, uh, and I uh, uh, and I love the <laughs> and why has the doctor gone to the wild west to get his tooth out? Well, it's because he doesn't know he doesn't know where he's going, of course. But I I I I think you I think you'd go. I, I might have to hang on. And have you got nothing in the TARDIS either? It doesn't matter. I mean, it's a comedy. That's the whole. That's the whole thing of it. But we, we can make up our own reasons for. He's just. He's. You know. He's. He's got carried away in the situation, and he really needs his tooth out now. And that is a fantastic joke. I never touch alcohol. <laughs> well, I do. And he has a drink. <laughs> and there's a. And there's a real edge to Holiday as well. He's funny, and I, I like the way he's sort of very welcoming of the Doctor. But you know, when he says I've no, I've not tolerated any complaints yet, you know, there's a real edge. This is a man who's you know gunned people down for 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 for, for crossing him, and that's that's never far away. Even though he's a, he's a sort of scoundrel and a charmer, Doc Holliday, but he's great. And and I think this, you know, for for what you know for for, for a show that you know, and indeed television at this time that you know struggles to sometimes pull off popular scenes or. Uh, senses of time and place in a small BBC studio. I th- I think you know that I I buy this bar setting. I'm I Dave again. That that's a lovely high shot that's afforded to us by the high stairs. Oh, that's on film now. The 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 shooting of the bottles. Um, I will talk about William Herndl who plays Ike Clanton at some point. But we've got four episodes. Who, 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 yeah, I, 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 I was in touch with. Well, he was again somebody we couldn't track down when we were doing the DVD, but we, I, I did manage to get hold of him. That's great that uh, David, David Graham decides to <laughs> emerge from behind the counter. I find, I, I find the accent he's doing. Did he say he said he was doing Walter Brennan, who was a, who was a famous western actor i think he stuffed his cheeks with cotton wool and, and gives you this kind of really performance uh, it, it, I, I i wonder if it's a, 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 a piece of character acting too far i mean D- david graham who as i record this uh, is is still doing grandpa pig from his own home uh, there was a lovely picture of him on twitter the other day uh, he's in his his mid to late 90s now uh, and is a legend and still still working uh, but uh, I would say that both his Professor Kerensky in City of Death and his Charlie the Barman um, you know turn the turn the character acting up to 11 <laughs> um, and this is the, I mean Donald Cotton is a very witty writer isn't he there's a brilliant uh, documentary online uh, 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 about Donald Cotton um, that's gone into great detail and tracked down some of his friends and former colleagues. And of course, you think of somebody who's so witty like Cotton as as you know blowing into Doctor Who, doing it not perhaps quite getting how it was normally done, uh, but because you know he's he was witty and better you know better than it or whatever. But actually, he you know he didn't write an awful lot else for television and. 
you know, was sort of a bit in the doldrums as a as a as a as a sort of character actor in regional theatre. Whereas I sort of imagine people come in, do Doctor, Who, and then go off and have marvelous lives, or I, I did when I was younger. But of course, life is different to that. William Herndl there is uh, was, did a lot of modelling, uh, did a few cigarette adverts. Very handsome man. Uh, very interesting life. Uh, terrible actor. <laughs> I mean, I think these two, I think Bill Herndl here, who I, I had great times with, uh, and David Cole are, are really bad. But but if anything can stand a bad performance, it's this, because it is this heightened um, pastiche. Um, it, 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 it's almost because it's a Western being done in the UK, you need a couple of not very good actors not being very American. Um, so it's, 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 yeah, it's... Not not everybody's got the handle on how to do this properly, but that means that the people like Jacobs and, and John Alderson doing it uh, are a real treat. Um, and Rimmer's great. That that you know, you you sort of wish they could have got a few more of the the the, the genuine article. Uh, and this and and it you know this is Donald Cotton at his witty best. Doc, what holiday? <laughs> and of course, it's called a holiday for the Doctor because Doc Holiday gets me well the doctor gets mistaken for doc holiday a holiday for the doctor so <laughs> uh which is all good and it's great that uh, that you know holiday again who's been charming and they've been very um uh you know welcoming and hospitable to the doctor is now absolutely prepared to set him up for a fatal encounter in the pub down the road <laughs> now and I haven't even mentioned the ballad of the last chart saloon sung by Linda Barron uh who's also now no longer with us gosh remember when this was yeah this was a story where we had so many people from we should have made a documentary for it then uh we should have had the budget to do that um uh, which, uh, that's, yeah anyway come on cannot regret too many things but I'm yeah I regret that um uh, but um, yeah, how? I mean, your enjoyment of this story depends on whether you like the ballad or not. I think the ballad is great fun. I think one of the joys of of classic Doctor Who on the day actually that I record this, when Murray Gold has been announced as returning to Doctor Who, and I love Murray Gold, and I love the fact that he and I liked Sagan Akinola as well. But I I love Murray Gold, and I and I and I, and I think he understands and scores the program very well. So I'm not complaining that we have a single composer but i equally like the fact that in old doctor who uh, you know a composer could a, a new composer could come in or a regular composer the same same to you and many of them <laughs> that's a good joke <laughs> that's, that's great um could come in and and respond to the story as they wanted it to, uh, as as you know, as as they as they thought is it, you know, Trist Tristram Carey who wrote the score for this, um, nice high staircase, even though it's got a very wobbly banister. Although it probably would actually in the Wild West, wouldn't it? Uh, I'm not sure in the same way that people would pause at the stairs waiting for the queue in the same way that those guys do. But um, um, um but. Uh, you know, Tristram Carey did the score, that wonderful discordant alien score for the Daleks. Uh, and then a couple of years later, he's doing this, is it Cap Baloo pastiche, uh, 
you know, where you have uh, the action being sung over. And again, I think for a Doctor Who story uh, to, to, to go, right, let's, well, let's, let's, for this one story, let's the incidental music be this. And the director's gone for it because Rex Tucker wrote extra verses. Uh, and I think it's a rather charming addition because it's Doctor Who being the same yet different. And this does, this is still a Doctor Who adventure. Uh, you know, it's witty. It's got jeopardy. Uh, it's got time travel, uh, but it's also very silly and good fun. And Purvis is brilliant. Uh, I, he's he's you know he's having to sing, which is a pain in the ass. Um, while Jackie Lane uh, mimes at the piano, the tinkling of Tom McCall. Um, uh, and, and he does that wonderful comic double take and, and he's clearly not wanting to I don't think it's the best orchestrated cliffhanger um, I know the suggestion is um, you know they're waiting and they're going to blast the doctor as he comes through the door but I, I don't think the cliffhanger sells that particularly well because they go out on the song um, don't shoot the pianist it's a great episode title though I think that rattles along. I think that is a lot of good fun. Uh, and, yeah, what a bunch of actors who all, who all, you know, as I say, you know, not that long ago, 10, 10 years ago, when we were doing all of this stuff, most of these actors were were, were still with us. Um, Ballad Music by Tristram Carey, sung by Linda Barron. Uh, Nurse Gladys Emanuel, Captain Rack. Um well, I think there's a lot in that, and I think it's all jolly fun, and it's definitely not the worst Doctor Who story of all time. Um, and it's, it looks beautiful on the, uh, on the DVD that I have. Um, nicely, you know, nicely cleaned up from when I first saw it on, uh, you know, fairly rough VHS. So, what is my favourite thing? About, I mean, it's even got a Doctor Who joke, hasn't it? I am Doctor Caligari. What is it? Dodo Dupont, Wizard of the Ivory Keys. I think I've used Wizard of the Ivory Keys. Uh, yes, we ha we have um, sometimes have live piano music at uh, Excess Malarkey, my comedy club, on a Tuesday night uh, from the lovely Jay J.K. and uh, he. Uh, I've excuse me i've occasionally described jay as the wizard of the ivory keys um because <laughs> it is a it is a good it is a good description um i love donald cotton's take on doctor who he um and again he he seems so carefree that he because he's such an easy dispenser of wit and then when you know i heard this documentary that i'll give you the details of uh, at, at, at some point during uh, this four-part Happy Times and Places. Um, you know, is actually, a, you know, a slightly sadder life than that and one, you know, uh, riddled with um, financial insecurity and too much alcohol, uh, which is all too familiar a story. And I, so I you know, I, and I was fascinated by this documentary and, and, and admiring of its, of its work um and the work that had, and research that had got into it and, and part, but part of me went oh i wish i didn't know that i'd I, you know i'd got him as this sort of lofty untouchable and of course he was just as flawed and disappointed and knackered as the rest of us um but he stands as a witty uh, you know a, a totem for irreverence in doctor who and that's no bad thing and actually 
uh, these days when I think sometimes we can be prone to take Doctor Who too seriously. Uh, somebody who goes, oh, no, 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 it's about it's about someone who travels through time and space in a police box. We can we can. We can we can turn we 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 can throw a bit of humour into the mix because it's daring us to. Um, now that's not to say that Doctor Who should have the piss taken out of it, but what it is doing, it is you know it is uh, having a very tongue-in-cheek look at the genre, and yet it's doing other elements of the genre quite uh, nicely. I also like the fact that the Doctor doesn't drink in this actually, uh, uh, when uh, having having just talked about uh, Cotton's. Uh, a later uh, propensity to imbibe um, and as somebody who's been known to indulge in the cups myself I actually I, I rather like the fact that the doctor is teetotal uh, it just um, it makes it if the doctor does it it makes it seem somehow not a compromise it makes it seem a pretty cool choice for somebody who you know it's my hero travels through space and time and he doesn't bother with alcohol i like that it's a nice nice little subtle note sends that little subtle message to the kids i also like the fact that pertwee appreciates his fine wine and drinks a scotch whilst twatting a rebel uh, a, a gorilla in day of the dalek so again you you can like two thick two contrasting things at once so i'm trying to think what um now, this is going to be really hard because Martin, one, isn't a, a fan. Um, and two, obviously, he's got a personal stake in this. I mean, Anthony Jacobs is one of my favourite things in this. I do like the, I do like the scene in The Dentists. I, I like Anthony Jacobs as Doc Holliday. Um, I like John Alderson as Wyatt Earp. I think the sets are fantastic. I do like the... I do like the the ballad, uh, and I like the Doctor Who joke. <laughs> and it's funny when that dog, because that picked that that shot uh, of Bat Masterson with Wyatt and Stephen and Dodo and the Doctor. That was that was the picture that accompanied the descriptor of the gunfighters as the worst Doctor Who story ever in Doctor Who: A Celebration. So I always associate that scene with the gunfighters being supposedly bad. Um, and then loads of pictures were in the Doctor Who archives. But I, I thought when I saw those pictures come out because they had sort of different groupings. Um, uh, Anthony Jacobs was in one of the pictures. I think with David Cole and John Alderson, maybe they, they they sort of mixed up the groupings. But I remember thinking that maybe Anthony Jacobs was Seth Harper because uh, you know his features were sort of a bit sort of rattlesnakey, snake eyesy Harper, and I didn't know what Anthony Jacobs look like i mean he actually doesn't look look much like anthony jacobs in that anyway because he's got a false mustache and a wig on um so it was only when i saw it that i you know discovered which characters were which but there's actually loads of really nice pictures of uh of uh of the various different cast members of the gunfighters i have to say um right ho my favorite thing uh, and of course he's you know he's hurt his tooth the doctor from uh, from eating one of Cyril's sweets at the end of the Celestial Toymaker. I mean, what a show! It goes from it goes from the Ark, which is this sort of hard sci-fi. I love the Ark, by the way, um, to the Celestial Toymaker, which is this sort of surreal, you know, nightmarish take on uh, you know parlor games. 
to the gunfighters, which is uh, a Western pastiche. Uh, and I know it's an uncomfortable fit for Innes Lloyd and Jerry Davis, who I think were much happier with, you know, bases full of, you know, tough talking types uh, and international crews and, you know, yeah, sci fi started. Um, but uh, but but um, it's all come from the sort of fertile and ambitious minds of uh, John Wiles and Donald Tosh, who I think uh, are quite an odd pairing for Doctor Obviously, Wiles not getting on with William Hartnell, and they spend most of their time having to do the Daleks' master plan, which they'd have inherited. So we have this funny period where they sort of throw all sorts of different things at the wall, and we get this really quite bizarre, but I think really interesting and eclectic period of Doctor Who that is that is all too short for me I would have uh, I would have been interested to see what more they could have done with the show um so my favorite thing in episode one of the gunfighters is I think I think what struck me about that the most this time around is I mean, it's. The, I, I think it's a very handsome production. I think the sets are fantastic. Uh, I think they're doing a to do a western. I know there's some some eating shooting as well, um, but you have horses in the studio. I mean, that's incredible to do a western in in with the resources that the BBC had, and to do one that actually looks so good and those high angles and the shots through the the, the, the you know shots through wheels or from foot level he does really interesting things with his camera angles does uh does uh does tucker in the studio and on film his his cameraman is ken westbury um who's a fantastic cameraman so uh is it the fact that it looks good that it looks like a you know they have a decent stab at doing a western in the studio costumes were all great yeah i'm gonna stick up for the production because Again, when this was written up, it was, you know, the whole thing was bad. Well, actually, just looking at the nitty-gritty of it, it's uh, it's handsomely mounted, brilliant set design, costumes all work, it looks good. It's a, it's a good production. It's a decent stab at a West, which is the main thing that it's supposed to be, is a Western in a BBC studio. And I think it pulls that off, considering it's also a comedy western you know you could have cut corners and gone well it is a jokey one they haven't cut corners they've they've very ambitiously uh barry newbury the set designer kudos to him uh mounted it without the tongue in their cheek you know they've 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 not made any um compromises because well it's only a comedy so i think the fact that it it looks much better than it should and that's a synthesis of the direction, the shooting, I think it is interestingly shot. Uh, the costumes, the set design. It's a handsome production. It's a decent production. It looks like a Western. Or it looks like, a, you know, as, as good a Western as the BBC could be expected to do in 1966. However, I'm sure Martin, who is a very smart guy, has chosen something completely different. So, a holiday for the Doctor through the lens of the, the son of that holiday. <laughs> Let's see what he has to say. Okay, so I've just finished episode one, which is uh, called The Holiday for the Doctor. 
And of course, um, the reason my dad was cast in this, aside from the fact that he was a, a well-respected character actor at the time, was that he looked a good deal like William Hartnell. And of course, the, the story hinges on uh, mistaken identity, Doctor, Doc, Holiday, and all that kind of thing. And, um, uh, you know, it was really fun watching it, you know. I've heard people be terribly rude about the song, but I rather like it. And um, it's very beautifully shot. I mean, you can see the painted backcloths and all that kind of stuff. But uh, Rex Tucker, is it, who directed it, has done a great job. He's obviously been watching High Noon. And so, you know, with his limited resources, he's got the camera down low and there's some deep focus stuff that, you know, looks looks quite classy. I mean, yeah, there are some terrible acts. Uh, American accents. They really are. And on that theme, although I don't particularly remember it myself uh, at, at the time, when I was about 12, I went on a holiday with my dad and he talked a lot about it, um, uh, which actually uh, had a great influence on me later on. I became a theatre director and a radio producer. And of course, he took everything very seriously. He was a classically trained actor. Uh, and uh, he was uh, on the radio rep for the BBC for, for, for many years and he he took uh, acting incredibly seriously and it's interesting to watch in relation to this episode because while some of them are taking it seriously, William Hartnell's taking it seriously and a couple of the others, <clears throat> some of these actors look, you know, let's, let's be honest, they look like they're slumming it a bit and their American accents are pretty dodgy. But my dad talked to me in gr- a great length about the accent because he was meticulous in his research. So he knew that Doc Holliday, I think, was born in, is this right, in, in Georgia, and he'd moved to Philadelphia. But in the script, they talk about his dad being in Alabama. And, uh, you know, he was used to researching accents for, for all the radio plays that he was in. And he was in hundreds, if not thousands, of radio plays. And um, he said, well, the, the thing was, you know, in the 18, whenever this is, 1870s, whatever year it was, I can't remember, in Tombstone, you're in Tombstone, Arizona, you know, what's, what's the accent? And he said, well, you know, he said, the thing was, there wasn't really an American accent in the way we understand now, and there's very little record of it. And this really frustrated him, because what he would have liked to have done is, uh, have an accent that w- that was accurate to the time. But he, then he said, well, of course, nobody would understand that because they see the accents as coming from Western movies. So he, I think he said in the end, he went for something from Oklahoma, is my memory. But I, you know, I may have got this wrong. Anyway, he got tapes uh, and he went and consulted whoever you consulted in those days at, at the BBC about accents. And he worked very hard on his accent. And, uh, you know, you can see he's playing the character for real, uh, which is lovely. He never he never hammed anything in his life. I mean, you know, he was quite a big, bold actor of his time. He was never a method actor, uh, but he took acting very seriously. And uh, what really amuses me watching it is... um, you know, I may be reading too much into this, uh, and, and I'm sure you guys all, all know a lot more about this than I do. But I really sense 
that William Hartnell, obviously, who's, who's coming to acting through a different route, but has a, you know, a massive amount of experience. I sort of sense that he knows that he has a, a very well-trained, serious actor that he's sharing the screen with. And to me, it looks like an act-off. But there you go, you know, I may be wrong, but at times that's what it looks like. And I, I really, I really love that. And uh, it's really fun to see. Um, I have to be honest, I haven't really got a clue what's going on. There's something about, you know, there's going to be Wyatt Earp and, and the, the Clayton boys or something, and they're going to do some stuff. And there's going to be a gunfight and, and there's mistaken identity. However, I have a request. You see, I have a memory of there being an amazing production skill, still, still photograph, of my dad as Doc Holliday, poised over the dentist's chair with uh, William Hartnell and about to take his tooth, his, his teeth out, his tooth out. And um, that shot isn't really in, in the episode. Um, my dad had it. It's, I don't know where it is. It's, it doesn't appear in my brother's film. I don't have a copy of it. I have looked online. I can't find it. If anybody has got this photograph, you know, and you want to do me a great favour, I would love a, a good resolution copy of, of that, that still. I, I'm sure I haven't uh, misremembered it. My memory is pretty good, even though I'm fairly ancient. OK, so I'm now gonna, going to uh, watch the second episode which is called Don't Shoot the Pianist or the Piano Player or something. So here I go. Here we go. Uh, is it going to come on now? Come on, play. Yay. Oh, oh no. It's, always... it's telling me. It's telling me what, what I've, I've got to do. There are five options. Yeah, I know there are five options. Thank you. Can you just let the time? Here we go. Yeah, here it is. Don't shoot the pianist. Here I go. Right. Totally done. You know, I love this theme tune. I know you all love this theme tune, but I don't like the new theme tune with the orchestra. I like this theme tune. It sounds like it's played on rubber bands. This is my idea of a theme tune. <laughs> I'm not cutting any of that out. Oh, well, I'm very much enjoying Martin's contribution. Did we choose the same thing? I don't know that we did. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think this one might not be scored in the traditional way because uh, Martin didn't uh, specify one particular thing. He chose a number of different things, as, as did I, um, some of which were the same, some of which were different. So however you're scoring this, you must choose. I don't remember a photo. There are a lot of photos of the gunfighters, but I've got uh, the most of the ones that I've seen are from the filming, although actually that one of Brad Masterson and that I just described but in Doctor and a Celebration um, uh, is uh, that's not that's from the studio. So, but I don't recall one from uh, of the Doc Holiday with the dentist chair. So I would say, uh, Martin, if your dad d did keep it, have, have a look. He might have the only copy, uh, and that's not unusual. I know I've known other people from BBC Productions. Um, uh, you know, who've who've taken photos away or been given photos that have turned out to be the, the, the you know copies that the BBC didn't have. So um, I, I've got a couple from the Savages that uh, Kay Patrick had been given by somebody, which have been in Doctor Which. As soon as I got them, uh, I 
donated to Doctor Who magazine. And because I'm not that guy, uh, and I've got a couple from Quatermass in the Pit from uh, Cease Linda, who was considered for a role, Canadian actor who plays Doctor Roney in Quatermass in the Pit, who was considered for a role in The Gunfighters. Uh, and he'd taken a couple of photos away that uh, aren't in the BBC's collection that are also on the Blu-ray of Quatermass in the Pit, because I'm not that guy. Um, but I don't I don't recall any of uh, Doc Holliday over the Doctor in the, in the dentist chair, which also I would probably choose as my favourite scene uh, of that. I love the bit where he takes a drink, and I like the bit where they sort of tease the Doctor and the rapport between Doc and Kate and the way that they, they uh, uh, very wittily engage with the Doctor and the way the Hartnell responds to that, I think is, is the best exchange in, in, a, in an episode that's got some nice sort of back and forths and interplay between everybody. And I do agree with Martin that... Um, you know, Hartnell, Hartnell responds very well. Uh, Tom, you see Tom Baker do it as well. If there's an actor that he respects, he, you know, he's very, he's very different to Beatrix Lehman in The Stones of Blood. If there's an actor he respects, he just checks himself. And if there's an actor he's not wild about, he can be a big, Tom, Tom Baker can be a bit dismissive. But I think Hartnell certainly engages very well with uh, Anthony Jacobs and those scenes are great. I hadn't considered that actually one of the reasons for Jacobs' casting was because he's has a similar look to Hartnell but actually I can I can see that now um you know their their, their faces are a, a similar kind of shape but I hadn't really considered that uh which makes actually more sense of the storyline of the mistaking rather than just oh it's a guy in a dentist shop and I say doc and he says yes but I mean I quite like that anyway I quite I think the mistaken identity stuff is quite fun and of course you can get away with it in western times because you you know there aren't you know pictures and id cards and all of that sort of thing you would have wanted posters up but uh, you'd have to then commit them to memory to remember what somebody looks like i'm sure there were all sorts of injustices perpetrated based on people vaguely looking like somebody else so i love the fact they have fun with all of that i'm very much going to enjoy martin's contribution to this i can tell he's uh, engaged with it uh, uh, you know with his all of his knowledge as a and as, as an exemplar of the creative arts himself but also with his personal insight courtesy of his father i was fascinated to hear that stuff about uh, the accent but um, just gives it a bit more of a personal view doesn't it? it feels like we can almost touch it a little bit which isn't always the case with these so i'm delighted by the dynamic being provided by martin i'm delighted i chose to watch the gunfighters after you know wanting to go on some sort of spree uh, inspired by Brit Box's appalling behaviour. Uh, and what a joy it is that, that something written off by, by, by fan lore as the worst Doctor Who story of all time. I know it's not thought of that now, uh, but as I said, one that, one that has never, that has always, I think, been somewhat bruised by fan perception and by history and rex tucker of course was going to be the first actual producer of doctor who and his name is only on the credits of three episodes three toby how come well we'll discuss that when we get to episode four rex tucker though uh, and he was still about until uh well i mean relatively with no it's been 20 odd years hasn't it but he was he was interviewed by doctor who magazine at least and uh, uh we, yeah got bits of bobs out of him um but yeah, I think, and, and he was great friends with, I remember Richard Beale um, talking about my great friend Rex. Uh, so lots of characters on display 
Oh, what fun it must have been to have hung around. Um, oh, and the Daily... The Mirror, Mirror Picks did a load of pictures, didn't they? But those were of the rehearsals. So I wonder if the... But I don't think there's any of Anthony Jacobs in those. I'll go and have a mooch and look for some photographs for Martin. Uh, I will also dig out the details of that excellent Donald Cotton documentary. But not right now, because it's way past my bedtime. And... Uh, I need to go and brush my teeth because because um, if I don't, uh, well, I might end up in all sorts of trouble. Well, that's the end of episode one. They think the doctor's doc. Next week, I'll give you an anecdote about Errol Flynn's... C- well, thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest... Martin Jameson, who can be found on Twitter at SmartArts, S-M-A-R-T-A-R-T-Z, at SmartArts, and his website is at ninjamarmoset.com, and his writings and thoughts are all fascinating and very funny and very smartly rendered, so check those out. I'm grateful to Martin, of course, and to the patrons who make these podcasts possible. And they include Joel Aarons, Joanne Abbott, Keith Adams, Mark Aldridge, Kit Allen, Neil Allen, Jonathan Appleton, Sebastian April, Tilt Areza, Reddit Aritza, Simon Ash, Richard Alt, Richard Baker, Stephen Bamford, Simon Barker, Ollie Barrett, Andy Benison, Richard Bignall, Peter Blackett and Robin Bland. The music is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. If you are enjoying these podcasts, then please go to patreon.com forward slash Toby where you can support them and also get them early, six months at least early for happy times and places, uh, and generally a month or so early for too much information and indefinable magic, my increasingly intermittent but longer and, you know, more sort of detailed production values, rewrites. Anyway, anyway. They're, they're the ones that uh, that take a little bit more time, but uh, you get them early at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. You also get exclusive pictures of my dog and other bits of Bob's monthly AMAs, which have actually gone sort of buy and try monthly, and people seem to like and have questions, and hopefully I'll, you know, yeah. So that's something, something else you get there, and it's a fairly egalitarian system. It starts from £3 a month. It goes all the way to gazillions, but um, I don't have any gazillion subscribers yet. I mean, I don't know if there's actually, it's possible to to do the gazillions. It's not a button. But, you know, if you've got gazillions, I'll have them. If you want, if you want to give them to me, I'll have them. I, I won't let technology be a barrier. Um, so, and you get a 10% discount, uh, even on the gazillions, uh, if you sign up for a year in one go. That's at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. And there's also a Kofi, kofi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke for you to, you know, you know, bung me some coppers if you're uh, if you're particularly ready willing and able for you know just a one-off uh, you don't get any uh, bonuses for that apart from the satisfaction of subsidizing the arts uh, and uh, you can also do uh, a supportive thing that costs no money whatsoever oh that's a good one toby what's that is to go to itunes and give these five stars because that tweaks our algorithms makes them look all pert and uh, makes them stand out from the crowd uh, makes uh, uh, people who may not be aware of this podcast more likely to stumble across it and then listen to it. And the more people listen to it 
Um, I mean, I don't know what that means really, apart from it makes this less less a waste of mine, yours and everybody else's time if there's more of us in this group madness. But anyway, uh, it's it's nice and I'm grateful to everybody that listens. That's the main thing. Keep listening, keep supporting. Subscribe and like and follow and all of those things and say nice things online and it just helps and it makes an old man very happy as he broadcasts from his cupboard. Um, so thank you very much. Do all of that. I'm on Twitter at Toby Haydoke, and these podcasts have their own stream. It's not a Twitter stream, is it? Their own Twitter, their own Twitter s- smell. Yes, it's a musky smell. <laughs> their own Twitter place at Haydoke Podcasts. I'm actually on Instagram, which I'm trying to get better at, which is at Toby.Haydoke. Um, uh, without much effort, I've sort of done okay on Twitter, and I mean Facebook. I'm, I've got two. I, I, I can't get any more followers, so I've now got a Facebook page. So don't try and befriend me on Facebook, but I have my page. It's still me. It's just a way of. Um, it's just because I've been. I've, 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 I've clearly not weeded out any bots or, uh, you know, people. No, no, you can't hide on Facebook. I'm, I'm not harbouring any killers. I don't think that's possible on Facebook. But I've just said yes to everybody, really. So my 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 personal page is now going to need to be sort of thinned out to people I know. I mean, so I can put you know personal photos on there and stuff like that as well. Um, but I but I, uh, I I do have a a page for me as a as a comedian. I think or as a performer. Um, it's me. It's a black and white photo. With, oh no, I don't think it is anymore. You you you'll be able to tell the difference. And um, it's the page, it's the page, it's the Facebook page. And that's still me, and it still has all my stuff on it. But um, it just might not have ones where I say, it's mum's birthday or whatever. Uh, so uh, you do that on Facebook, you do the Twitter, uh, and sorry, and I've and Instagram, yes, is the one that I'm, I, I would say I'm an underperformer on Instagram currently. So at Toby.Haydok on Instagram, and we can do all this in pictorial form. Hurrah! I mean, they're actually asking me to... Uh, it's been suggested I get a TikTok as well. And I mean, how many of these bloody things are there? You know, so, well, it's more content and uh, more people will be... I'm constantly doing bloody content. <laughs> I want to be in some... Somebody else do some content and I'll just turn up and and fill the content. Be the content. I'll be the content. I'll be somebody else's content. Um, so I do TikTok. All the kids are doing it, but I'm not a kid. But maybe you want to be with the kids. I don't really want to be with the kids. Gore. But um, I've had a couple of ideas. But I, the problem is I got a message from somebody the other day and then I went to reply to it and I, th- I just could have sworn it was an email. It wasn't there. So then I looked in Messenger. I looked in WhatsApp. Uh, I looked on Twitter uh, messages, but for me and for the website account. And I don't know. So I just replied. I just sent this person an email, hopefully with the current email. I just said, thanks for that lovely message you sent me that I now can't find. And, and sometimes my phone will ping. And I'll go. That's a message from somebody, but in but fr- from where? Um, so it's uh, it's. I mean, I don't want to be the old uh, the old guy who doesn't understand modern thing, but I I I, I think I am that guy. Um, and I do genuinely have a um, anecdote about Errol Flynn's uh, 
uh, that I intend to put in the next episode. But of course, I'm, I'm not going to record that right now, so I might forget. But um, r- remind me. No, it'll be, I'm sure it will come up at some point. Oh, um, <laughs> I'm sure Errol Flynn's will come up at some point during the uh, uh, Gunfighters commentary So from me. So that's exciting, isn't it? Hurrah! Um, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right, well, I'm now going to do a 15-second video about a bit of being young uh, and see if I can enter the worlds of TikTok. TikTok. The only thing TikToking here is my countdown towards my... I'm getting feeling old, feeling old. Yeah, the tick TikTok is the, the short time I've got left. And with that thought... <laughs>